Thank you very much, Addison. I've watched you go to Africa. I've watched you sing in front of people. You are growing. Amen? Amen. And I love, you know, that's the song, and I had not heard that song before as far as I know, and the line that said, even when I fail you, I know you love me. That's okay. Even when I fail you, I know that you love me. Do you know that? Because a lot of people don't. Peter didn't. Peter assumed because he had failed that somehow the love of Jesus had stopped. He was done. He was finished. He was total. We heard that this morning. But do you know that? That when you fail, God doesn't stop loving you? In fact, His love does not waver when you succeed or fail. That His love is a constant because He loves you perfectly. Isn't that awesome? That's, isn't that awesome? That's really good news. I know your lives and that's really good news. And you know mine. And it's really good news. Really good news. I had a lady ask me this morning. Good question. In fact, we talked. We sat down and said, can I have about five minutes of your time? And she wanted to, you know, how, she goes, how do you get restored? How does that happen? I mean, she's, she's, in fact, she's going, this message was for me today. But how do you get restored? And, you know, and I shared some thoughts with her. And I had my own wrestling with that. I share very honestly and candidly with her about that. But, you know, it really is. It's, it's just a believing. It's a believing. You've got to believe that God is on your side. Mm-hmm. That God wants to restore you. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want you going around in defeat. He wants you victorious. He wants to restore you to the fullness and, and the victory that Jesus died to give you. He wants to give um, that to you. And it really is a matter of believing that in your life. It's a matter of taking action. You, you remember the story of the prodigal son? You remember that? You know, he's sitting there feeding pigs one day. He wakes up. He says, and he came to himself. He came to himself and said, I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father. And that's the process. When we start, like I said this morning, when we start looking for Jesus, when we start looking for Jesus, we start seeing Jesus. And we start seeing Jesus, the path to restoration becomes very clear. Very clear. And I also told her this, and you need to continue doing what you're doing. And I said, even when you don't feel like going to church, you go to church. When you don't feel like praying, you pray. And when you don't feel like reading the Word of God, you read the Word of God. You keep doing the things that you know that God would want you to do to bring about that restoration. But it really is a work of God. It's a work of grace in our lives. But it is believing that He wants to restore you and that He loves you even when you fail. Well, we want to finish up tonight, John 21. Um, it's, again, it's a very famous scripture um, that I learned a little bit even as I studied again for this. Um, John 21. We left Peter this morning. A couple weeks ago, we left him, as we learned this morning, in the courtyard. Well, sitting by a fire, by the way. And so we, leave, we left him this morning sitting by a fire, having breakfast with the resurrected Jesus Christ. That's what he was doing. And we wanted to see what happens now in the life of Peter. And what happens now, now listen carefully, what happens tonight is um, it is painful but necessary. Painful but necessary. Um, as I studied, and I'd heard this before, but as I studied, then I, that I read and it said that probably in Luke 24, it alludes to the fact that they were talking that Jesus had appeared to Peter. And I think Paul writes something to that effect later on in the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians. He writes that. So, so most theologians would tell you that they're, they're certainly that Jesus and Peter had a private conversation sometime. And here's kind of the rule of thumb. Private sin is often dealt with privately, and public sin 
has to be dealt with publicly. Private sin is dealt with privately, but public sin needs to be dealt with publicly. So there are some things that most likely Jesus and Peter talked about in a private meeting. And I bet you've had some talkings with Jesus before in a private setting. That's something that only you and God knew about or you or maybe your wife knew about. And you and Jesus had to come to Jesus' meeting and you talked about that. But there are some things that have to be handled publicly. And that's exactly what happens here. But there's a very special reason why um, that has to happen. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. So in John 21, verse 15, the Bible starts it out very appropriately from what I just said, and when they had finished breakfast. Now, isn't that wonderful? They had finished breakfast. Here's what's wonderful about that. Um, have you ever had to, have you ever had to talk about something with a person, you know, if you're, if you're a supervisor and you know when you get to work you got to talk about something and there's the person sitting there and the first thing you want to do when you get there in the morning is go, hey, we need to talk. You ever had those times? Or maybe if you're a husband or a wife and you've got something you've got to share that's not going to be nice, but you can't wait to just get it over with. Well, isn't it nice that Jesus waited? I mean, you got to remember, Peter put on his clothes, the exact opposite of what we do. We take off clothes to go swimming. Peter put on clothes to go swimming. So, so he's wet, um, he's hungry, he's cold. And so what Jesus does, before they have this conversation... He goes ahead and makes sure he gets time to dry off sitting by the fire. How nice is that? He, he um, gets warm. He gives him a chance to warm up. He, he feeds him food, and they enjoy some fellowship together. You might want to write that down for some people skills we need to learn. When we need to have difficult conversations, do what Jesus did. Make the person comfortable. It may be your wife, your husband, by the way. That's why I'm telling you. It may be your child. When, when you get a call from the principal and your kids misbehave at school, the first thing you want to do is, you know, when they walk through the doors, yeah, you know, well, maybe perhaps you should give them a snack and, you know, how was your day and stuff, and now we need to chat. That's what Jesus did. So when they had finished breakfast, he, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now somewhere in my brain, I had had it in my brain that, that Jesus probably... In fact, did y'all see, how many of y'all saw the movie last week? Yeah, yeah. Did, did you notice what happens? He takes, in the movie, he did what I assumed happened. He takes Peter aside and talks to him. Uh, that is not what happened. What happens? Because again, Jesus has most likely dealt with Peter's private sin. They don't need to have a private conversation. They need to have a public conversation. So, so I've always thought, and I've even preached it, that, that Jesus, you know, kind of said, hey, Peter, come here a minute. We need to talk. No, no. They were sitting there for a very specific reason because here's the deal. The rock of the church, one of the main leaders of the church, of, of, of the 12, has fallen publicly. He has failed publicly. You have to understand and know that most likely some of those 11 guys that are left, 10 guys that are left, are going, is he still the leader? Is he done? You know, when pastors mess up, sometimes they're done. Is he done? Is, is Jesus going to trust him with another assignment? What's going to happen? So, so the, the group has been undermined by Peter's public failure, and Jesus is going to address that in a very public way. So here's the painful part. It's difficult when Jesus asks the questions, do you love me? In front of these ten guys, do you love me? That's difficult. It's painful because it's going to remind him of what happened 40 days or 35 days ago. Okay, here we go. 
Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, and notice he uses his old name, which means pebble, because you remember Peter had boasted. You know, pride's a big deal, and he had boasted, even though everyone else fail you, I will not fail you. They may all run away, but I will not run away. So he uses his old name on purpose, and the word Simon means small pebble. He doesn't call him Cephas or Peter, which means rock. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? More than these. Now again, the, the ten guys were sitting there. I'm sorry, the six guys were sitting there because really there's seven. There's six guys sitting there. Okay? And so so he says, Do you love me more than these? So you gotta ask the question, okay, what do these mean? What are the these? What are the these? Well, you know, you know, Theolo, one thing I've learned as a pastor, there's all kinds of interpretations. Okay? So interpretation number one is Hey, Peter, do you love me more than these guys? Now, now, not do you love me more than these guys, do you love these guys more than me? I mean, he had walked with these folks for, for three years. They were buds. They were friends. They were tight. Okay? And, and sometimes, sometimes there's a temptation to put friends in front of God. If you know it's going to make your friends feel uncomfortable, you might be tempted to not speak up for God. I love one of my favorite stories. Is a guy named Wayne Lingle. You don't remember him, but I've told you a story before. There's a couple of stories I've got for Wayne. And uh, Wayne lived across the street from us and did not go to Cobden. And eventually, you know, found out he was a Christian already. Started coming and just grew into an incredible friend and brother in Christ. And he had a friend named Mike. That every deer season, Mike would come down and go deer hunting. And they were friends like for life. And one day he told me, he said, Dwayne, he said, I don't think Mike's a believer. In fact, he didn't want to talk about God. He said, but I've got to. Because I'd rather lose him as a friend than lose him for all eternity. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. He cared enough to speak the truth to him. Jesus cared enough to speak the truth to Peter, even though it was hard and it was difficult. Do you love me more than these? Wayne loved Mike intensely as a friend, but he didn't want to lose him for all eternity. So he shared the gospel. And by the way, Mike stuck around. He didn't leave, but neither did he get saved, at least in the time period that I knew. So do you love me more than these hombros? Do you love me more than these friends? The second thing, do you love me more than these, are those, no pun intended, stinking fish. Because as we learned this morning, dead fish doesn't sell, do not sell. And they're laying over there, still on the shore. A couple hours have passed. The sun's rising, the heating up. And there's a net full of 153 large fish over there. And they're starting to decay. But it still represents the past. So Jesus could be saying... You know, Peter, there's the past right there. Do you see it, Peter? There's a boat, there's 153 fish, and there are the nets. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? The third thing, and most likely the one that's correct, is Jesus looks to Peter and says, Peter, when we were talking Thursday night, you, you said you loved me more than anybody else. That, that they would run and they would leave and they would forsake me, but you would not. 
Your love somehow was greater and stronger than their love. Peter, do you still feel that way? Do you still love me more than these other guys love me? All three are tough. All three are hard. And all of them are spoken spoken in front of the other six men sitting there. Do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord. Now, now that's the part we need to capitalize on. What did he say? Yes, Lord. Now, once again, I learned something. I don't know, I don't know very much Greek at all. And I knew that, I do know, and you know that there's three major words for Greek love. Eros, which is a sexual kind of love. There's phileo, which is a brotherly type love. You're my friend, you're my brother, you're my pal. And there's agape love, and that's a sacrificial dying love. And it's absolutely true. When Jesus speaks here, he says, do you love me more than these? He used the word agape, which is a dying sacrificial love. Do you have a dying sacrificial love for me? And when Peter responds, he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter uses phileo, that you're my brother and you're my friend. And boy, do preachers make a big deal of that. Well, I learned today that in the Aramaic, which they spoke, the New Testament's written more in classical Greek, that the words are very distinctive. And they do play a role. I'm not downplaying that. They do play a role. But, but in, in the classical Greek, it was very important. One was a brotherly love, one was a sacrificial love. But in the Gospel of John, John uses, in Aramaic, he uses these words almost interchangeably. So while there's some significance there, don't hang your hat. Don't, better than that, don't hang Peter out to dry because he, you know, Jesus says, do you have a dying sacrificial love for me? And Peter goes, well, I love you like a brother. Those words are interchangeable, really, in the Gospel of John several times. They gave several examples where, where those words are interchangeable. The thing that's important, when Jesus said to Peter, do you love me, what did he say? Yes. That's what's important. It's not important what Greek word is used there. Not as important than the message is, is that Peter in front of these men declare his love, his love for Jesus. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And this is why it's so important. He said to him, feed my lambs. That's important for Peter but that's important for the six sitting there. Because again, one of their main leaders, and Peter was one of the main leaders, had failed publicly in a very big way. And when Jesus gives Peter a renewed commission, he's affirming and restoring Peter publicly. He's saying, this is still my guy. This is still my guy. This is still my guy. The one who who started the game ends the game. This is my guy. And he gives him a job. And, you know, Peter, Peter, you know, the first time three years ago when when Peter, you know, was at at the shore side, he said, Peter, come and I will make you fishers of men. Peter would always be the evangelist. But now Peter becomes something else. And we should not lose sight of this because we do. Peter now becomes the shepherd. It's really important that we win people to Jesus. But it's equally important that we love people to Jesus. We must win people to Jesus, but we must love people.
to Jesus. You know that sets our church apart? Our church is kind of halfway have a reputation of loving people. So many churches do a wonderful job of banging the pulpit and, and shouting and screaming what they're against, but so few churches get out the gospel message that said, God loves you. And we love you. And then we demonstrate that love through back to school or whatever it might be by trying to love people. Donnie, when he shares, he shares love with them, the gospel truth of love, long before he, play, he pays the electric bill or the gas bill or the water bill. It's so important. So now Peter is going to be the evangelist, but Peter's going to be the shepherd. And literally in the Greek, again, that word means to pasture. It's the, it's, the rounded, it's the rounded word for a shepherd. He is, to, he is to love people, care for people, to protect people. And yes, it's a great pastoral role. It's a wonderful pastoral role, but it is a people role. It is us. It is us. You know, it's hard to win a starving man to Jesus. That's why we've got to be sure we feed hungry people for the purpose of sharing the gospel with them. Amen? Don't, don't lose sight of this. This is huge. So, so Jesus restores public. And you know, this is something that just instantly came to my mind is the way Jesus does this as the master, restorer, and teacher should ring a bell back in your mind. Um, one day we're going to reteach the Elijah series. I'm not sure when that's going to be, but one day we will. But you remember Elijah had this great victory, and Jezebel threatens him, and he loses his confidence, he runs away, gets in deep depression, ends up in a cave on Mount Horeb. And you know, God, you remember God asked him a question? Let me read it to you. And when Elijah heard it, this is uh, 1 Kings 19. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And there came a voice to him saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? Is that not strangely familiar to Peter's question, Jesus' question for Peter? Do you love me? What are you doing here? And you know, Elijah goes on, well, here's the deal. You know, I've been very jealous for you, Lord. Um, people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I, the only one left, they seek my life to take it away. Remember that part of the story. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. Elijah, just like Jesus says to Peter, he's still my guy. I've got a job for you, Peter. I want you to shepherd the flock. I want you to take care of my sheep. God gives Elijah a job. And he tells him, go back and do what prophets do. Verse, verse 15, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king of Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abimelech, you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of uh, Hazel shall Jehu put to death. The one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. And yet I have 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which are not bowed to Baal, and every mouth has not kissed him. God told Elijah to go back and do what prophets do. And God tells Peter, Jesus tells Peter, I want you to go and do what my disciples do. You're to win people and love people. Win people and love people. All right, verse 16. Now this is where... You've got to be making a connection. You, there should be some synapse. Is that what you call those things in your brain? The little clicky things? Something should be firing off in your brain. Besides what you're going to do after services, whether it's Hardee's or McDonald's. 
So, so, so he said to him a second time, a second time, Simon, pebble, humility, son of John, do you love me? Now, once again, again, don't make a big deal of it. We just learned that. Okay, it is the word agape, sacrificial dying love. Okay, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Same word again, phileo, I love you like a brother. Again, don't make too big of a deal of that. The important thing is Peter said, I love you, I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Take care of my sheep. An evangelist, caring for the sheep. An evangelist, caring for people. Okay? Now, this is where it gets interesting. He said to him the third time. Now, what's the significance of the third time? How many times did Jesus or Peter deny Jesus? Again, remember I said this morning that the white elephant in the room was failure? Regardless of why Peter went back to fishing, the white elephant was failure. Okay, remember that? You can't miss this. There was a reason why Jesus said three times, do you love me? And it may not be the primary reason, but there's a white elephant standing out in the crowd, and it is the fact that Jesus was failed by Peter three times. So he asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, this is where you can't deny there's some power in that Greek thing going on. Because this time, Jesus uses the word phileo. And there must be a reason why he does that. So he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And again, the word phileo as a brother. And then Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved. And there's, there's probably two things. One's the different word. He certainly probably picked up on the significance of that. For whatever reason, Peter chose to use phileo and not agape. When Jesus used that phileo, it rung a bell in his heart. And it grieved him. But most definitely and most certainly, it's that third time. All of a sudden... Now remember, he's not, they're not by themselves. The six guys are there, and they all know the story. And over, when that third time is asked, there's just a rush that comes over him. It's like, he, it's like he relives it all over again. I don't know him. I don't know him. I said, and he cursed an oath, I don't know him. It all rushes over him, and he's awash fresh and new in grief. Have you ever lost someone to death? And you didn't cry. And then about three days later, you just melt. We know Peter grieved. I'm not saying that. But I think this is a cleansing for him. I think this is the final, just let it out, Peter. Let it out. He was grieved all over again. And Jesus has just the ointment for the wound. Because Jesus, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then he says, feed my sheep. And this is a little bit different. The word used here means dear sheep. Feed my dear sheep. Take it to the bank. As this grief washes over him, when he relives that time in the courtyard... Jesus says to him, Peter, you're still my guy. You're still going back on the court. 
It's not over. You're not done. You're not finished. Be my sheep. Be my sheep. What happens next can only be pulled off by Jesus. It's one of those times when you just know this, this God thing's got to be real. He says in verse 18, Peter, I've got some more news for you. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, Peter, not now, but a few years down the road, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you when you don't, where you don't want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Peter's death is predicted. Jesus is saying, Peter, Peter, there's going to come a time in a few years that you're going to be older and someone's going to wrap cloth around you and carry you and they're going to carry you to a crucifixion place and they're going to stretch out your arms and you're going to be crucified. Tradition has it, tradition has it, that Peter refused to be crucified traditionally. He wasn't worthy and was crucified upside down. That's tradition. But we do know know this. In A.D. 65, 67... Nero crucified Peter. He died. Remember that death thing Jesus would say? Peter's going to happen. And Peter died a martyr's death. He died for the Savior that he loved. After saying that, after breaking the bad news, you're going to be crucified. And after this saying, you know what he said to him? Follow me. Three years ago, he had said, follow me. And now after the failure and after breaking the hard news, and it's not a question. It's not like, well, Peter, you still want to follow me? No, it was a statement. Peter, follow me. Follow me. Wow. I asked this question on Wednesday night, and people were quite honest. How many of us? If we knew following Christ, whether it's now or 10 years down the road, if we knew we were going to die for the cause of Christ, and I'm not talking about 90 years old either. If you knew you were going to die for the cause of Christ, would you still sign up? Would you still be willing to say, I'll follow you, Christ? And the amazing thing is, this guy that we're sometimes awful hard on for failing Jesus, awful hard on for giving the wrong answer, using the wrong Greek word, says, I'll die for you. Even after that bad news, I'll follow you. Not the same way he boasted that night and said, all the rest of them will, I'll even die for you. No, this is an informed death. This is Jesus saying, you're going to die, Peter, but I still want you to follow me. And he does. And he does. Now, there's another interesting twist in the story before we're done. And that's John 21, verse 20. So, about this time, Peter, you know, let's look around, rubbernecking. He turns and sees the disciple that Jesus loved following them. So apparently they've gotten up now and they're, they're taking a walk. Probably when they start talking about the death part. It's the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who, John said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, what about that man? Okay, all right, so you've told me that I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified, what about John? Isn't that what we do? 
You know, Lord, you asked me to teach second grade. What about them? Do they have to teach third grade? Lord, you told me I have to change diapers in nursery. Does someone else have to do that besides me? What about that man? You know what Jesus told him? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? Emphatically, you follow me. Peter, I have a plan and I have a course for you. I have a plan and I have a course. Follow that course. I'm not asking you to run John's course. I'm asking you to follow my course for you. Let me read and talk just a little bit about Hebrews chapter 12. Here's what, again, the author of Hebrews says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us or clings so closely to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. One of the greatest things we can learn in life, Candy, is to run the race that God gives us. The race that God gives us. Jennifer, you don't have to worry about following and running my race. God has a race for you. Wilma, God has a race for you. Dana, God has a race for you. He has a course laid out for you. And the author of Hebrews says, we're not to run Peter's course. You know, somebody say, but what if he calls upon you to be crucified? If he calls upon you to be crucified, then he'll give you grace. When, again, I love the story of Matt and Bethany. And when God called Matt to leave being a, a lawyer, living in a nice home, driving multiple cars, to go and live in Central Asia, God gave him the grace to run that race. And if God calls you to Central Asia, God will give you that grace. You believe that? You believe that? It's true. So run with patience the race that is set before us. Well, well, who do we look at then? If we're not supposed to look at Greg for an example, who do we look at? Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised his shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the Father. As we, as we journey, no matter what the news might be, you know, whether it's like Peter, you're going to be crucified, whatever your course looks like, keep your eyes on Jesus. What did I say at the beginning of this thing? Look for Jesus everywhere you go. Because if you look for Jesus everywhere you go, Jesus will guide Jesus will restore. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And you know what? Peter did that. Peter did that. And you know what? He wasn't perfect. Did you know later on that Paul's going to call Peter down? Did you know later on Peter was doing this when, when the guys from Jerusalem weren't in town? He would pal up with the Gentiles and have them a little bit of a pork chop on the side and have a great time eating all that stuff. But when the boys from Jerusalem, the big dog, showed up, he got all pious and said, I won't eat with the Gentiles, and I'm certain I don't eat that pig. And Paul called him on it. I think he actually said, you hypocrite. So even after all this, Peter never was perfect. And guess what? We're not either. All he said was, follow 
follow me. Would you bow your heads, please? I told you the restoration that Peter went through was necessary because it restored his leadership and the leader of the group. But it was painful. And you need to understand that if there's a failure and there's restoration, it might be painful. We don't want the pain. We want as least amount of pain as possible. Yeah. We don't like that. We would much rather be little pain. But sometimes when it's something big in public, it needs to be big in public. And thankfully, sometimes when it's small, it's small. But God is in the restoration business, not the tearing down business. He's in the healing business and the restoring business. So tonight we leave Peter. I hope you've learned from his life as we've seen him. I'm hoping that you saw some of you. But most importantly, I'm, I'm hoping when we saw Jesus interacting with Peter that we got a lot of Jesus too. And tonight, if there's something in your life that that perhaps you need to work on some restoration and maybe a private thing, then you need to talk with God about that. Maybe tonight when you get home or maybe tomorrow morning. If there's something we need to talk with about a group of people, that you failed in a certain group of people, maybe that needs to be dealt with publicly. Uh, An easy example is last week you stood in a group of men and heard a very vulgar joke. And you go back to that same group and say, you know what, I was wrong when I did that. I want to tell you I'm sorry. I was not an example to you as a believer. Painful, but profitable. Painful, but profitable. So God, this is your time. Thank you for your incredible word. Thank you for Peter. Jesus, thank you the way you've ministered to him and the way you've ministered to us. If there's any needs tonight that you need to take care of, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to hearts. Um, We certainly... Leave that part in your hands. Uh, Thank you, Father, for every person who came out tonight. Father, help us to remember and to learn. Help us remember and retain the things that we've heard. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.